This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. And welcome back. And this week, we have Philip. Aloha. And me. And we are going to be talking about building a really solid and great alternative education program or school. And last week, if you recall, we talked about, we, we touched on staffing. And we also talked about the mission and looking at goals. And this week, we are going to dive head on into leadership because leadership is not only, they are not only the helmsman, they're the person who's in charge of the sales, the direction, the sextant, everything that takes us through the, through the waters of education. And they have the vision. And without a good leader, you have abject misery and um and perhaps um not not a great crew so and i don't mean that they're not talented it just means that morale and motivation are could be lacking so and lagging so okay philip before we set in what would you yes. like anything you want to throw in before we jump into these waters or should um, we just jump in? Only that, um, yeah, I, I, I know something of leadership, but I've never invented that wheel. I know of it um, by uh, getting good information. And I would cite things like Simon Sinek and um, people like that on, on leadership and how those are formed. Um, they have universal statutes on how they are. Um, one of the basic, though, in any leadership formation is to have that vision. Um, the leader knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that being said, that it's amazing how many leaders, when you ask that question, either don't know what's going on precisely or what they say is going on and what you see is going on don't match. And that's, you know, that's like one of the premises is, is the, is the leader, do they know what, what's going on or do they know the mission, you know, the vision and do they, do they have everybody going toward it? And, and that's, that's one of those premises that really needs. Well, do they, <laughs> do they have a ship that's sailing with the crew or is the crew yeah, yeah. rowing off in their dinghies? Yeah. And, do, and is the ship sailing in the correct direction? I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you can, you can have a really tight ship going in a completely wrong direction. Oh, yeah, and you can have yeah. you can yeah. have leadership who is completely out of touch. Yeah, like Jack Walsh and GE just turn that ship right over to like this all ships overboard and short term profit, and that became a real short term success mm-hmm. toward long term failure. You know, they just <laughs> collapsed GE. You know, they thought he was the greatest guy ever on the surface until it all fell apart. Yeah, the one it, thing. It was, Sailing over the earth is off the flat earth thing because they thought the earth was flat, I guess. Well, Bad leadership. <laughs> the one thing I will say about a good leader is that they are inclusive. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's also it, one they of They need to be absolutely inclusive with everybody on board um, and that everybody is well informed. So yeah. not only inclusionary, but also communicative. So that not overly so. But 
that everybody knows what's going on and they're open to communication and feedback so that they understand where people are coming from. Well, there's and, a, you can put it in a system of that too. Like you said, the communication, there's right. a way like the, um, the military is good for that. The U S military is really good for that. The NCOs, the sergeants, you know, um, the captains or the middlemen, um, that's a really good system for that. That way, the leaders know what's going on through the people in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was thinking in, in a school situation, um, it's the administrators in direct relation to the teachers. And you and I shared an administrator who was really direct with us. And she even sat in on, on staff meetings. And um, well, she I felt like she was staff meetings. Well, no, I mean, she was in on our, our case management. I'm sorry, case oh, management meetings okay. in the morning. And so she was like one of the staff mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned. And so she really knew the bare bones facts about things. And, well, and then yeah. she'd go away with a real ground, ground level knowledge, as they say. And I felt like um, then she knew what we not, what we needed. And I felt like I kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but things kind of showed up as needed. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that came from that, those meetings and that knowledge and, and being able to predict things. And she was a good leader and uh, she had right. a small group though. And she knew how to to make her time work for that. So in the absence of that, perhaps, you know, you have that middle level that can really communicate that too. And they also need to know that. that right. Yeah, you're right. And she also, she also had an open door policy. She, she knew did. the kids. She knew what yeah. was happening. Um, she did. You know, yeah. she was just there. And she was. And she was positive. And the feedback that you got, yeah. it, she knew how to phrase the feedback. Yeah. Even if it wasn't good feedback, yeah. she took, basically, here's what it was. She was a good steward, and she was almost like a good parent to the teachers because she motivated us. She incentivized us. She knew how to keep it together as a family, even though it was small, but it was very spread out because there, were, there wasn't just the one program. There were satellite programs, and she was inclusive of everybody. And she went around and she made sure that everybody knew what was happening. Well, you're, what you're you're picking on what um, Simon Sinek said about a circle of safety, mm -hmm. and um, obviously that that's a really great phrase to describe exactly what it would be. And you were just saying you were describing that. Well, I felt like I was within that circle of safety. Um, that that's a good feeling, even if it was negative feedback. It was not. Um, do it or else, or you know what you did. You know, it was constructive. Right. It was caring. Mm -hmm. um, and then this, I remember doing that with the students as well. You know, if there was something wrong, we discussed it. And then it was, get it? Good. It's over. Done. You know, and um, that sort of thing. It was really constructive. It wasn't held up against each, anybody. It was, a, it was a safe circle. It really was. Yeah. Right. And um, that's hard to do, but it's really vital. Yeah. Right. So what I want to do using let's let's use that administrator yeah, as okay. kind of a baseline from where we're coming from, Okay. Um, because I have worked with several types since then. And I worked with several types before that. Okay. And um, we can go through this list um, and we're going to go through the list of the Norwich University online, uh, which had this article called 10 different types of leadership styles. And I'll put that down in the show notes. Uh -huh. So, okay. So the first one that they remark on is the visionary. And that is when you want a new direction, you have a new concept and they need to make a good connection because you want everybody rowing in the same direction mm -hmm. and everybody targeting the same goals. So you need to have the goals that we talked about last week. Okay. We need to have um, a good leader who can communicate that and involves everybody. So everybody knows what's expected of them. And I believe that that means delegation. Yeah, that's a hard one, too, for many people, myself included. Yeah. <laughs> I say that. So um, now... If you if you can't give people a vision of where you're going, then pretty much you're going to have a mishmash, yeah. and nobody's going to know what's going on. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to say that there are some people who come into this position of, let's say, principal or vice principal, and they really can't give up the power that they see that they have in order to communicate that. They know what they want, but they're just completely incommunicative and they just don't know how to get there. Someone who tells you what you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So tell me what I should be doing. Well, you know. Just not that. Just (laughs) just not that. Don't do that. Okay. (laughs) See what you're doing? Yeah, not that. (laughs) So we want the visionary to be successful. So communication, communication, communication. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a a funny thing. uh, Many people know this, but it's, it's very true too. You can't not do something. And it's very important to frame your um, instructions in that way. So, for example, say, uh, I don't know, uh, oh, gosh, I, I use a batting because if you bat a ball, you have to step in a straight line toward the ball. And if you step away from it, it's called stepping in the bucket. You know? Or oh. so if you so don't step in. So you tell yourself, don't step in the bucket. What you're telling your brain is step in the bucket because your brain can't not do mm-hmm. something. So tell yourself, step toward the pitcher, step toward or step in a straight line or, you know, step toward or step in a line, anything, but don't, you know, don't do something because your subconscious only hears the do something. Don't think of an elephant. Well, you just had to think of the elephant, didn't you? Well, of course. So it's it's the same thing as when you're climbing and somebody says, don't look down. Oh, yeah. Well, well, the first thing I'm going to say is, Oh, heck no. I'm not going to look down. There's no way. And don't fall I, either. <laughs> is that really? Yeah, don't fall. Chances, don't fall. Your, your chances, statistically, your chances of falling have just increased yeah. um, hugely. Your focus, your intention goes where your focus goes. No. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking. And so back in, the, back in the early to mid 80s, they were pushing for you to say, if, you know, don't tell your kids don't run out in the street. You say, stay on the sidewalk because I need you to be safe. So you give them a reason. And so they get that. And don't be like I was where I sat there and I thought, well, here's the thing. I mean, we're at the crosswalk. Let's just cross. Why are we standing here? This is wasting so much time. And I was almost hit by several cars. (laughs) And the woman who, who was babysitting me was just furious with me. So, um, well, yeah, yeah. So better than serving as an example to others, I suppose. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then she, well, then she said, "You get back here right now." And so I started, and she goes, "No." And those are the final words I heard. <laughs> right. And I said, "I don't understand why you're so upset." But I was uh, only about, I was three or four. So. But you do now, and that's the point. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so the next one would be coaching. And that is exactly what you were talking about when you talked about don't put your foot in the bucket. When I said don't don't step in the bucket. When we're telling, when we're encouraging and giving words of wisdom in a sense of Mm. how to hone the skill. They say coach this or coach that, basically. I say just calling him a teacher. Mm -hmm. But but you, you know that the leader has has had to have observed the teacher or the Mm -hmm. staff member. And they need to know what are those strengths, because what you need to do is you need to nurture those strengths and you need to go off of that. And you need to use those strengths that that person has for the strength of the school or the program. I think you're right. And I only say, I think you're right because duh, and secondly, I think that's overlooked a lot. It's amazing, <laughs> A, that duh, and B, it's overlooked. It really is overlooked. I think a lot of administrators were trying to pound around, squaring around pegs and square holes. Well, they want everything done their way. I always saw that, and it made sense to me. What they were and, doing didn't make sense. Right. But, you know, the, the, here's another thing, and that is in Education Week, there was an article about what makes what do leaders know that we should know and one of them one of the interesting 
comments that came from these from these uh, principles was that they looked at the principalship as another form of teaching because they're they're still teachers they're in education the goal is education we're there to serve the student and they are working with the teacher so they're still teaching and they should have no problems dropping in on a classroom and being able to teach in a sense or they should still have that vibrant curiosity that propels teachers in order to be the teachers that they are because a good teacher is always questioning is always looking for the best mode or method right. of delivering the the information the teachers that have it off the back of their hand they're actually those are the teachers that i would get rid of because they're not bringing anything new and vibrant to the classroom yeah it's just it's it's become something that's just second nature to them and they're not really invested in it but a principal should be able to fill in for teachers if it comes to that and one of my big premises too yeah. would be that every five to seven years the principal needs to go back to teaching hmm. and i think that should be with every single principal that they should have to go back to teaching for two to three years and then come back and you know come back as an administrator and come back through the ranks because i think that that will keep them humble i think that that and i and not just principals but administrators superintendents yeah. as well right simply because it gets their feet wet again and they can get back in with everybody and they can they can struggle with everybody so they know what's happening or, or even better um that would be one option or another option um, would be a, a sabbatical in a, in a chosen field mm -mm. that would be um, academic and academic exploration of, you know, some kind of chosen thing. It would be some kind of exploration of something. They could do some maybe uh, university teaching or a no. uh, university class. Um, very different. Very would, different. Very uh, different. I have to disagree. Oh, I would be as an alternative educator, I would say I'm open suggestions, anything that would open the horizons of an administrator so they could come back a different person, I would give it to them. It doesn't necessarily have to be in, in regular teaching. It could be setting up a charter program. It could be, well, I don't know what it could be. They could come up right. with a suggestion that say, Hey, they need, to be, they need to be in a not administrative position. Oh yeah, absolutely. It couldn't be like a, it couldn't be like a lateral thing. It has to be a, a different change. It has to be a change of life. It has to be something that enriches them for them to come back into that role, a different type of administrator. Right. Now, yeah, the say. reason why I say a non-university type position yeah. is because you have a completely different animal of student. You may be right. You may be right in that regard. And so you're no longer looking at something that's more purposeful and goal oriented where you're okay. actually honing skills for students. Yeah. You're like, I mean, you are, but it's at a much higher level. And so you have people that are paying people who are far more invested. Yeah. If I had a principal who went off and taught university and then came back to the high school, they would have it's there's a huge disconnect with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be uh, that was that's, sort of a slip of the tongue. I would you, you'd probably be right in that regard. I'm, I'm thinking of other fine academic institutions that mm -hmm. would be suitable for it. And, and they're, they're coming up. Yeah, um, but something that would be an you know, alternative that would enrich them, you know, I can think of. Mm -hmm. Doing over and teaching in Finland would be kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I could see, I could oh, see going come back. <laughs> I'll tell you, teaching abroad was fantastic. Yeah. I, mean, I loved it. I and it taught me though. so much more. I could see somebody doing that. I mean, that would make more sense. Yeah, I could, uh, or, or setting up a, if I went into the alternative program that we had taught in and then gone back to a regular ed, it would have like blown my mind up. Like, whoa, I've got a new look. I can, I've got some ideas we could use here. <laughs> a couple of years over at that program, mm -hmm. go back. Yeah, we can change things. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Number three is affiliative. And that's where the nurturing comes in with the morale, uh -huh. um, making sure that everybody is connected and that everybody knows 
where they connect and how they connect and everybody mm-hmm. observes this and respects that and honors it so that everybody is working as one working unit. So I, I worked with the principal who constantly told everybody that we were family. Were you? And then, and then it was a very dysfunctional family because nobody felt like they were family. Nobody felt all that connected with a lot of other people. And the administration did their best to keep people disjointed. Yeah. So they, they spoke a lot. So what came out of their mouth was not what was coming out the other end. So they were ingesting a bunch of dookie <laughs> is what it is. So they yeah. could, they could talk a good talk, but they couldn't digest it. So this, but see, if you have, if you have a respectful administration, where's your morale? It should be decent. You should have good morale. I mean, mean, when we worked, when we worked with that one administrator, sure, we had some times that people didn't feel so great and people might be angry about this, that, or anything, but nobody looked forward to the end of the year. No, and I we mean, even had some tragedies, you know, some, mm-hmm. some staff members lost some family member kind of thing. And it was, you know, right. everybody kind of banded together. together. We did. Yeah. yeah. It was, and yeah. so it really was a family and we would have potlucks. We would do all kinds of things together and people were recognized. Um, but it wasn't a competition in a sense. No, it was never it was always human. Right. And everybody worked really hard because whatever was best for the children. Yeah, that was always the focus. Right. So um, Mm. and knowing that and having people that you could talk to. And just figure things out with, I think, was was humongous with that. It was a pretty simple system, really. It was. I think it wasn't it wasn't hierarchical. I mean, it was pretty open. And the mm-hmm. teachers were appropriate. I remember, um, maybe to spill, eh, this is not inappropriate, but I was asked during the um, interview if a situation came up and uh, that student had said during the situation, okay, you have a student come to you and, and, the, and the student said, hey, you, you caught me, but can we keep it between the two of us? But you know it's a rule and you know with the, the staff member here, you know it's a rule. Um, what would you say? And I replied, um, well, I'll look the student in the eye and I'd say, well, I can't do that because I work with that staff member and we work together and we depend on each other and we trust each other. And I have to share that information with them. But I'll tell you what I'll do because you came to me, you're honest, I'll advocate for you, mm-hmm. but I can't keep it from him. That wouldn't be proper. Right. And I was later disclosed somewhere years later that that was kind of like an answer that was when that person heard the answer, they went, that's the answer that gets the, that, that, that's, that gets the prize. <laughs> that's the answer that you have. That's, that's the person awesome. you want around to go. Yeah. Well, look, you know, you're not in trouble. You know, it's kind of like, you're not in trouble. You know, I can work with this, but I can't keep that from the other staff members. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of that um, environment we had. Right. And that's exactly how it worked. Look at, you know, I can't keep from the staff members, but I'll advocate for you because you came to me with it. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. But- but it, I think that that is where integrity thrives. Yeah. And there's a sense of loyalty towards each other. Yeah, because they knew there's a line there. I can't lie on behalf of you, but I'll advocate on behalf of the deed that you originally done had done. But no, right. I will not lie for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a line. Yeah. yeah. And that was the trust you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then, okay, so then we go to Democratic and that's where, you know, the staff has a voice and they can talk about what's going on. And that would also mean that leadership would keep an open mind to what are the possibilities. So we talk about growth mindset. So let's say that you are the principal and you come up with this idea and you throw it out to everybody and they all say, no, and you say, okay, well, why not? Let's figure out the why nots. And then, and, and so we have a reason that it's just not because it's a change because teachers yeah. tend to be locked in and yeah. they don't really like change much, but because sometimes it just gets piled on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, that's I was going to say. May I say something about that? It's because <laughs> like every every year they put something on and then it doesn't stick around, and so some of you've seen that. Yeah. Right. So, but if we're going to work on something, then that can be a collaborative project. Yeah. It's much of what we ask the kids to do when we do collaboration in the classroom, mm -hmm. and it would be good for them to be able to see the staff actually working in collaboration, so they have a role model. Yeah. I think that um, I I remember what you said about okay, so they they propose a change or um, some sort of uh, direction to go to in, during the year, mm -hmm. and um, then uh, they say it, and some people say no, and then they say why not? And um, I remember that there was a lot of why nots, and it was explained to in the early part of my career, and then I remember toward the end of my career when administration didn't have that actually a relationship at all with staff. Mm -hmm. The why nots were not heard, quieter, pushed under the rug, and they just barreled through with it. Right. So uh, yeah, I noticed that transition. At the beginning, they'd say, why not? And they'd say, here's why we should do it. And they was on board and it actually worked. And then after a while, there was no direction. And then there was just no tolerating the why nots. They just made us do it. And then it and just went away. And that's because the administration didn't know what they were doing or they lacked any form of what's the word I'm looking for. They vision. I don't know. Well, they I, lacked vision, but they also lack self-confidence. That's the one thing that that yeah. is a huge thing. You want to have an administrator who has self-confidence just because a, an administrator is a dictator and is telling everybody what to do doesn't mean that they know what they're doing. It demonstrates exactly the opposite. The only thing I, I think in the end, I understood the vision to be was pass the tests. The, the, the true visions were pass the tests, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the standards. Right. And get the credits, come hooker hat, you know, hooker by crook. And that the math was the hardest to do, period. Everyone was dragging, like most of the kids, perhaps 60 to 70 percent of them through all that math. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that if you teach the subjects and you make sure that the kids have the skills, they will pass the test. You don't teach to the test. You teach the material mm -hmm. so that the kids will understand it. And that way they can take it with them. Yeah. But if you're teaching to the test, well, we have to do this because you have to pass a test on it. That does nobody any good. I think that was the only vision I ever um, consistently saw in the last eight years, 10 years, really. Um, well, see, in t I remember when they started talking about teaching to the test and there were all those letters to the editor. I think you wrote one possibly. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, and there were, there was all this hype up and somebody looked at me and they said, aren't you furious? And I said, why? And they said, cause now we have to teach to the test. And I said, I'm not teaching to any test. I'm looking for the best way for the kids yeah. to access the material, for the kids yeah. to be able to demonstrate how they can communicate their understanding of the material. And that's what we did. And my kids did incredibly well on the test. Yeah. And for me, it was an experiment to see whether or not if they yeah. understood how to do it, if they could put two and two together, would they be able to? And they did. My kids always nailed it. I mean, there's a matter of pride with me. I mean, we just made sure my, I crossed every T and dotted every I. I made sure my kids were nails at it. What I didn't foresee was that it did become all all encompassing focus. Mm -hmm. And that what we mentioned here, I don't see any other vision besides you know, from administration besides just that. They came up with, you know, a little kind of cliche slogany things from year to year, but it came and went. The only thing that was ever consistent was those tests. Mm -hmm. That was the only thing they could hang their hat on is anything they really wanted to do. Because I perhaps they're being assessed by the tests. That was it. I think in the end they were just being assessed by it. And that was the thing that mattered. They could come and go, but that mattered. And that's and what I hated to have happen because it doesn't matter in the long run. And that, I proved it. We taught, and that was secondary. Right. And exactly. But that comes from the top. That comes from the superintendent. And the yeah. superintendent is at fault for that, but yeah. so was the superintendent's cabinet. 
Well, that's and, also for the national, just the national zeitgeist of no, what happened I don't, to test, what happened no, to no. education and textbooks. No, I don't believe. So. I don't believe so. Well, I, think, I don't want to get into it now, but yeah. right. I, I, I believe that there are superintendents who are really good superintendents who get the job done, who are able to do all of this without oh. creating a diktat. Oh, agreed. There are, there are, there. it's like a bell curve. There are exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, the tests really pushed everyone to that. Let's do the test thing. And it kind of did weird things. It, it did weird things. But, well, we're going to get next, yeah, let's go on to next one. Well, next week, Next week, when we talk, I'm, we're going to talk about community. And there are some examples of where they closed the achievement gap and where communities came together with the school and they were able to be very, very, very successful. So we can talk about that next week. So, okay, so we've done all the way up through democratic, and now we're going to talk about pace setting. And that's where we... With, to me, this means that everybody agrees on benchmarks and when those benchmarks should actually be achieved. And those can shift because it depends because kids are not rigid. And yes, we have our regular school year, but sometimes we might hit a benchmark early and that gives us a little bit more time to work on something else or something's going to work. You know, we just need to measure things out because we cannot hold kids to be where we want them to be because they're not little machines. Right. They are. They, they, they're, they're little bio clocks. No, it's the semester. <laughs> right. And so yeah. maybe a kid isn't finished by semester. I mean, yeah. everybody has, I've seen people who advocate for boys to start a year later than girls because girls brains work they, they mature faster and boys would be able to go in a year later um, and be able to be just as successful. And right now, women are the, over 41% of women are the top wage earners. So that has really come up. Wow. And they're so, just now messing around with the school schedules and letting the high schoolers go to school a little later. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, well, how that helps, I don't know because they still have kids who need the most sleep starting much earlier too. That's what I noticed too. Yeah. So, they still have that happening. I mean, everything is ever it's so contrived and everything goes by the buses. Yeah. That's but, exactly it. The bus runs the schedules. <laughs> and so, but also parents who want the schools to take the place of daycare. And so, but that's something else that we have to talk about. What's the true, role, what's true. the role of the parent in the, and the community in the schools. So um, how do we do that? Then we come to the autocratic. autocratic. The autocratic style, which is where I'm the boss, you work for me. And I'm going to dole things out. In a sense, it's a bit of a dictatorship. It's authoritarian. Um, and completely appropriate for the large type high school. Is it, though? No. I mean, well... Functionally, yes. I, learning. So you think that, oh, okay. Okay. So well, I want you to, because I mean, that's very Nietzschean of master well, slave, but then you also run into is the school of business because you're talking corporate level stuff. Yeah. Where I'm your boss. You will do what I tell you to do. So go do it. And that does not work so well because well, teachers are professionals and they've been trained in what they do, not for some little, person who now gets much more money and isn't really that versed in exactly what it is the teacher is doing because we would hope that that teacher was some kind of an more of an expert in that field it does it, well okay so i was thinking about that <clears throat> and i was thinking about when authoritarian management goes wrong mm -hmm. and in, in like the school level and i thought okay why did i think that and i thought okay so i've seen it kind of in a way in a big, big school. And then I thought, how would I fix that? Could you like make the school a big school into smaller schools? And then it, that's what made my mind sort of kind of think about things that way. And because it's, it's not really a model that fits education as much, but sometimes it does. And that's a tragedy when it does, when the principal kind of dictates from the center office there. 
because these buildings are quite large. So it, that style of leadership does make it work for that complex system. Well, <laughs> that's weird. That, it all depends on the principle and yeah. and as I said before, their level of self confidence and right. what they're able to do. Yeah. Now, just... now, if a principal has 3,500, 4,000 students that they're looking after, then, of course, they're going to delegate, but they need to be able to have a team of vice principals mm-hmm. and their and their uh, department heads who understand what's going on and make sure that they are the best people who can generate the community and work with the community because you'll have yeah. far fewer problems if you have a good community that works for you. Yeah, if because you have to have a big, you have to have a community to run the SROs and the parking lot and the whole, because three to 3,500, well, 4,000 students is a big place. Well, if you're going to run it like a Stalag. Well, you don't want to have to. And you're going to have people that are constantly it. looking for ways to actually break out. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. And then your numbers, period. right. Yeah. And your numbers are going to go down. You're going to be, you're going to uh, be hit with even more problems. I don't want to think about a big building like that. So, well, I'm thinking like Las Vegas has them. I know Portland has them. Yeah. Sherwood has the biggest high school in the state now, I just heard. I don't know how big it is. Look on the Google machine here. Yeah, I don't know. I'll tell my my assistant. Look that up. I don't have an assistant. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So let's get to commanding. And this is something that you talked about earlier. And this is the military. In running it like military. Command and model by the military. Command. No input from. Oh, well, no. no, That's not. Well, that would. Yeah, no. That's not quite the the style of um, commanding from the military I would would actually follow. I would follow the style of the upper level special operations teams where they all have a say because they all are equal, even if. They, they have a difference in rank. They all have a say somewhat. They all understand the mission and they all are like focused on getting it done. And so none of them will, um, well, that, that will always be foremost in their minds. So you can trust what they're going to say is that oriented toward the mission. So then when they, they all have a suggestion toward it, you can trust that's a good suggestion. Well, I can see that I can see it happening in a time of crisis that you know exactly what the hierarchy is. And that when they say, this is what we need to do, and then you do it, because you're going to have to do fire drills, earthquake drills. Yeah, in this case, that's that's not what I was talking about. But yeah, that would be like, you know, like infantry, general infantry stuff. But yeah, because that's a big building thing. Yeah. The leadership model I was talking about was a leadership model of like a six, seven man fire team, where it has to move quick, be dynamic, and they all have a special say. But yeah. So, right, but I think that if you're if you're talking about large building or even yes, even a medium sized yeah. building, you still have mm-hmm. you still have the the administrators who try to run them um, militarily and try yeah. to look at the kids as the troops. Well, they kind of have a real calming style too. I mean, when they come on that, when something happens and then they come over the uh, PA, the, calm, the PA, yeah, it's kind of like, oh yeah, here's the voice. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it's constantly interrupting. Yeah, and so there's it's it's hard to maintain a stream of thought. So okay, laissez faire. So Ooh. that's basically where you tell staff have at it, do what you do, and let's see what you come up with. So the problem with that, I'm going to say it says that it has the highest job satisfaction but i'm going to say that every one of these has to be combined and shown in some form of a mixture because right. sure i'm going to have i'm going to have my departments figure out what they're going to do i'm going to and then we can take a look and see where you are with that and then yeah. yes but i think it's i think what they're talking about here is empowerment Having teachers real be realized for the professionals that they are, and allowing them to teach what it is that they're supposed to teach and how they're supposed to teach it. Yep, this is called the Camelot affair. <laughs> it's like if you can have a team that is that highly skilled and motivated uh-huh. and they can work together, it's like Camelot. It's perfect. 
because I mean, if you can let a team like that alone and let them create, just wow, that's mm-hmm. a that's a great team. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Okay, now bureaucratic. Oh, it's oh god. <laughs> That's the meetings you go to where like two people are reading a newspaper or used to back in the day when they had newspapers. Yeah. And once again, <laughs> it's hierarchical, but mm-hmm. it's organized. It can be efficient. Mm-hmm. And as long as everybody's willing to agree that you keep that level of efficiency, sometimes yeah. you need to have that. You do. Even if, because, you know, yeah, just people if, around not, roles. Yeah. Because it's the best use of people's time because nobody likes mm-hmm. meetings. And if you're going to just be wishy-washy about your about everybody's time, nobody's going to want to be there. That's and I, true. I remember I walked up to one of the vice principals, and I said to them, I said, "Can we do something here about what time we finish these things?" And he said, "We finish before class starts." I said, "You don't understand. I have to come in." 20 minutes earlier than the staff meeting starts, which brings me in 20 minutes before I'm supposed to be at work so that I can run down the halls. I can set up the classroom because I'm not in the same classroom period to period. And I have to start getting those set up before I. And so when I leave here, I still have to go back to my office. I have to pick up my stuff and then I have to run across campus in order to make it back to that classroom before my students do. And you're giving us five minutes to get there. <laughs> I said, how about we have a time limit on these? Next, The next staff meeting, we had a time limit and it gave us an extra 20 minutes at the end of it. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic that we actually got that. But it also made the meetings run far more smoothly. The agenda was to the point. And you know, everybody knows that there's always that one person that raises their hand with all these questions at the very end. <laughs> everybody, oh, yeah. Everybody's raring to go. They've already started oh. their engines. They're sitting yep. there. They're getting, you know. It's a question got, they could ask them right after. No one has to listen to the answer, just them. And all of a sudden, everybody starts getting up. And all of a sudden, it's like they see that hand go up and they go, oh, no. They're at it again. And everybody sits there and rolls their eyes because nobody wants to be rude. But that stopped. And so, but administration to administration, you still have to get everybody else on board with that. My favorite was, does anybody have anything for the good of the order? And I went, do not say that. (laughs) Yeah, I have a puppy. No, it's my friend who has a puppy. What are they? They're what mix? Okay. How many? Three. Two. Two? Okay. They have two puppies. What mix? Okay. And you're going, oh, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm just <laughs> going to kill somebody. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Then we come to the servant leader. Now, this is the one that Brad John- Dr. Brad Johnson talks about. Servant leader? Yeah, the servant leader. And this is what we DJ. had. <laughs> this is what we had yeah. where they would come to us and say, tell me what you need. And they, things suddenly appeared, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, hey, guess what? I found funding for you. We're going to be able to do this. Can you get this? Because I got this for you. Is that a servant leader? I like the servant leader. (laughs) You know, I mean, they're they're in there and they are there to support you. And I believe wholeheartedly that administrators should be supporting the teachers. Because Not, we're working with the kids, right? <laughs> well, we're the ones who are doing the work, right? Right, we're working with the kids, and the kids are all the center of it all. And so when you so. get somebody who sits there and says, do your job, because mm-hmm. I sit here in my office and so ha, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Instead, you have somebody who says, wow, you're doing so much. What can we do? Yeah. How do you see... How do you see moving forward? What else can we do in order to get this going? Yeah. And, you know, just trying to make sure that everybody is um, taken care of. So they're not putting themselves ahead of everybody. They're putting, but they're putting you ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Okay, and so they can still do their business, but everything is focused in on what's the best thing for them to serve the teachers, the students, the rest of the staff, and the community. So rather than being a bureaucrat, correct? Rather than just pushing the budget figures around. Right. And knowing or how to paint. use them, paint with them. Actually, that's that's a good one. Painting with the budget numbers. That's what uh, the good painting the budget started. by numbers. Yeah, yeah painting uh, painting with budget numbers. I got some. I mean, they they started looking like wonderful things after a while when I got budgets because I had the freedom to use it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I love I I love my budget. My first budget that I received, and this is when our favorite administrator, when they had just first begun. And they weren't allowing them to be full time. My first budget was three hundred dollars <laughs> for my program, yeah. and I had two programs that came in: one residential, one was transitional. And by November, I was out of money. And they said, "What did you spend it on? Paper, pencils, pens, and a couple of books." And they yeah. said, well, you need to manage your money better. And it's like, no, 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 no. We still need more materials. I need more money. So I went to the top. I went to the district office and um, I made allies. And then I got a call from our favorite administrator who said, you are not allowed to do that anymore because all of a sudden <laughs> I was getting money. <laughs> wow. Different budgets, so, huh? But I never saw it, but they were so new to the program and they were being, they were being, um, so used by the regular high school that I never really saw them. I saw them maybe once or twice and that was about it. I had no idea. We had no relationship. And then after that year, things got much better and we were able to work um, together. And all of a sudden money, we started getting more money and we were able to work with more money. Yeah. So, um, and it wasn't a huge amount. I think the next year we got maybe about 900 or $1,000, but that worked for us. Now, I think by the time I came around, which was a few years after that, I got $1,900. <laughs> so, okay. So tell me about Simon Sinek. Oh, Simon Sinek is a, um, he's a, he works with leadership uh -huh. and he um, develops leadership models and can, Leaders Eat Last is one of his books I like a lot. It uh, basically talks about how the best leaders put, um, they put things before themselves. Uh, he does use Jack Walsh from GE as, as one of the leaders that, that saw short-term gain mm -hmm. and, and uh, didn't see long-term survival, you know, which didn't occur. <laughs> you know, when GE came, you know, fell from glory and things like that. Right. And same thing like Pan Am Airlines, same thing. Um, and he develops um, systems that will help businesses um, survive, you know, and why, uh, for example, Apple. You remember the, he's one of his favorite um, allegories. One of his favorite stories is about uh, the Microsoft Zune. And for those of you who don't remember, Microsoft came out with an Apple competitor called the Zune. And uh, so he had done a convention with Microsoft. The iPod competitor. Yeah, I'm sorry, the, the iPod competitor, yeah. Right. And he had, um, thank you. And he had, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a better product. It was actually a, a better product than the iPod. Um, it did more, it was cooler, it did better things. And, and those who used it thought it was better. So he was meeting with an Apple exec and he couldn't quite um, resist. And he said, you know, Microsoft gave me the Zune and I have to admit it's it's, it's better than, than, than the iPod. And the reply to him was, I have no doubt. <laughs> and what he didn't realize was Apple will, you know, they're not, they're not in it to, to beat everybody all the time. Right. And so Microsoft invented something that was, it's better, mm -hmm. but where's Microsoft Zoom now? <laughs> It's gone. It's way gone. It, it came and went. And yet the iPod actually came and went and people are using the iPhone now. Right. So there you go. You know, he just said that, you know, just looked at him and said, I have no doubt it's better. 
<laughs> and that's that's a long game. That's the infinite vision. And he said, good leaders have both the finite vision and the infinite vision. Mm-hmm. They know where they're going after they've gone there. <laughs> and that takes, that's where the companies now, the one, the best led companies, those are the leaders that are revolutionary. They know where they're going after they're going there, you know. Right. And then they go how to get to they know how to get to the place day by day too. And they know how to develop those relationships too. And they also know how to pace themselves and they know how to hit their benchmarks and what they need to do in order to get there. And they can move the goalposts. Yeah. They're not rigid. Yeah, they have to be flexible and, and they know how to they know how to make decisions under what are called VUAC systems, volatile, uncertain, ambiguous, and chaotic systems, mm-hmm. which is hello, welcome to Earth now. It moves quite fast. Right. You know, because of Moore's law, you know, which is computers double their power and speed every two years. So mm-hmm. we're trying to catch up all the time. It's crazy. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's so you know, it's really, he's well worth reading. Leaders eat last. I'll take, <laughs> that's a Yeah. I'll take a look at that. Yeah. I will take a look at that. So next week, we're going to take a look at community. And that means on the outs, bringing the outside in. So it's dealing with families, it's dealing with services, it's dealing with businesses and getting a lot more involvement so that we can have vibrant schools that aren't just about containing the kids. And getting the kids to to the places they need to get to. Yeah, exactly. So, and that is on the agenda for next week. So I hope that you you will join us. And as always, it's been wonderful. Philip, thank you so much. Thank you. To all of our listeners, thank you for listening. Give us a review and subscribe. And we hope to see you again next week. And until then, goodbye.